A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earle and A.M. Kozak. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, episode 59. I'm Amanda Earle. I am A.M. Kozak. And, and it's uh, just us today. It's just Aaron and I, and we are doing this, we're doing the Zoom uh thing for the first time for the for the podcast that so Aaron is in his I assume you're in your home Aaron and I am in mine yeah so uh, so this is different for us we haven't actually seen each other since I think uh, February so <laughs> sounds about right a few months now yeah this is so I guess what we're what we're planning to do is we're going to talk a little bit about um, how COVID-19 has affected us in our writing and we're also going to talk a little bit about some of our current and recent reads and then we'll talk about recent and forthcoming virtual events that are have some kind of maybe they have some local connection and maybe they don't and mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's it. Other than that, maybe we'll come up with some other things to talk about as well. So uh, we, we usually meander along the agenda, so I, I think it's pretty safe to say we'll, we'll fill up a good amount of time just kind of talking, and then uh, we'll see where it takes us. True. I've been doing these solo episodes, so it's been less meandering, right? Because it's hard to meander when you're alone. So <laughs> I, I, I find I can do that still. There you go. Well, that... I, I sort of do, but it's just I tend to like to work off paper so much that I, you know, that, uh, oh, I probably still meander as well. Someone else will have to tell me whether I meandered on the on the recordings. Yeah, maybe I'll also check some of them out and, uh, and listen. And I guess we could say that uh, there was a article yeah. um, on Apartment 613 recently that heavily was talked about the podcast, which was which was nice to see. And I I shared it around, and the, maybe we'll get some more listeners from that. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put the link up. Yeah, uh, Jamie McPherson, he uh, he uh, he worked really hard on that. He he sent he asked me all kinds of questions about about the small machine talks, and then um, we 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 sort of corrected a few things and went back and forth. I think for about about a couple of weeks, we we worked on that together. So yeah, but he did a really great job, and and it was really nice of apartment six thirteen two to put that up so i'll put up the link to that and uh yeah they're good uh i've been reading that like i don't read them you know every day or anything but i i've been aware of them for pretty much the whole time i've been in ottawa so you know almost about 13 years now um and they they're one of the probably most major like ottawa based event type place that will you know share information about events and the, the local you know scene and what's happening in ottawa so um, yeah. yeah, they're great. And and they did some kind of, in April, they sent out a call for submissions for poetry. They're planning to do some kind of poetry PDF. So I, don't know I, that. I have a couple of poems that, that are going to be in that, which is, I thought that was yeah. really neat to see them folk concentrating on poetry a bit more, which is neat. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of poetry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> has, um, has this pandemic that we're in, has that... I'm assuming it's affected your reading and writing habits to some extent. Um, how has it sort of, you know, made an impact on your your day-to-day -day habits in terms of your your writing, your reading, your literary life? Well, for for the reading side, I've been trying to save money, so I'm reading my pile of books that I've kind of set aside and my eBooks. Um, like, I was impatient a lot of times, and I would set them aside, but I've discovered that I, there are some great things. For example, Carmen Maria Machado's uh, short story collection, Her Body and Other Parties, was one of the books that I kind of set aside because it has this long, um, it has this long novella in it. And I was reading it on my before I was reading, I was when I was reading it on my ebook, I couldn't tell when the novella part was going to end, so I got kind of impatient. But I have more time and more patience now, so I I finished that, and I'm really glad I did. It was excellent. And then I've, I've been reading uh, 21st Century American Women Poets, uh, which is another, I've been reading that on my ebook as well, my Kindle. And then Love in the New Millennium, uh, The Margello's World Republic of Letters by Ken Shu. So I started those books like last fall. And so uh, it's, that's really affected my, like, like just having to sort of maybe not buy a new uh, book on, you know, my Kindle every time I finish an old one and just and be so influenced by sort of what's around and, and uh, read some of the old books. So that's, a, that's 
for my reading. What about you? What about your reading habits and your? I think that so for the first you know few weeks of being um, you know at home, I think I let myself fall into I would say uh, sort of unhealthy patterns because I wasn't you know I'm home seven days a week all of a sudden I'm like why not have a beer with lunch? Why not you know just watch TV? So I was kind of you know being lazy for the first little while and then I was realizing well who knows how long this is going to go on for and I can't just do this every day for the next however long. So then I started to you know, get into some better habits again, and including reading being one of them. So I, I feel like I've had a bit more time uh, to, to read and a bit more, a bit more patience, maybe it sounds kind of similar to what you were describing to right. go back to some things that were on a list, you know, to, to kind of, uh, you know, get get that kind of stuff done. Um, and, you know, yeah, some things I've been putting off, like uh, finishing up, tying up some loose ends on a manuscript I've been working on for a while. And, uh, it, you know, in thinking about some other things that I kind of have, you know, I've been kind of thinking about starting or doing and just kind of, you know, pushing those, like progressing with those uh, things a little bit more. So I would say that overall, um, I've had a bit more, as a lot of people probably have, a bit more time to, to do some reading and writing, although I haven't been as productive with it as you might imagine based on how much more time I'm just home. I would say my my productivity and detention has increased a little bit, but not like anything uh, miraculous. A lot of people are, are, are pointing this out, and I think it's important to point out too that it, we shouldn't really um, put too much um, pressure on ourselves to be productive at this time necessarily, right? I mean, it's it's a difficult time. It's it's a it's a pandemic and stuff, so it's not like it's it's not just like a, oh, we're on vacation or something like that. Yeah. Plus, people are having like you're working, you're still working, but you're working from home. Um, I still have my I still have certain obligations as far as uh, right getting uh, grant reports written and applying for grants and doing different things as well. So yeah, we yeah. We, we, we can't be too hard on ourselves if we if we do have the occasional beer with lunch or whatever. That's okay. I think that's okay. I guess, though, that for me, because it, it feels like um, because I haven't been having the same hardships as a lot of people have been having, and I've had, you know, essentially just more time and space to to, to do things, I feel guilty sometimes if I'm not being productive. And it, oh, I know. I'm too hard on myself, but it's yeah. like, you know, you know, saying to myself, well, if you're not going to spend an hour or two this evening working on something you've meaning to, when are you going to do it? You know, like mm -hmm. me telling myself, well, if I'm not taking advantage of this, you know, you know, the bright side of things, this opportunity to have more time and space alone, if I'm not utilizing that now, when will I utilize it? And I guess it is, it's true. Like it's, be careful not to put too much pressure on yourself because especially when you're talking about creativity or things that are supposed to be enjoyment if you're pushing yourself too hard when you don't need to, it's not like I have any, you know, external deadlines or anything that I need to reach. It's, it doesn't, it's not conducive to like good. Well, maybe sometimes or some people it is, but for a lot of times it's not conducive to just like enjoying it or, or writing well, or, you know, producing um, good art. So yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually, I tend to work well if I have some pressure, like if I have deadlines and stuff like that, but um, I have I have all of that already. One of the things, I'm very used to working from home. I've been working from home since 2004, so um, I'm used to it. Like, I've already imposed a structure on myself for things, so from that point of view, I've I, that isn't an issue for me, so uh, mm. whereas for other people, it's that's the hard part, too, where, where they're yeah. not used to having to impose their own structure on their time and stuff like that so I have that already so that's not something that is an issue for me but I I, I do have to uh, I do have and I have the structure too of having my fitness classes now they're on on zoom instead of uh, in person at, at Carlton mm -hmm. so that's my structure as well in the daytime yeah so I would say overall it's the the situation has affected my reading and writing habits in a slightly positive way, um, but it hasn't been mon a, monument a monumental shift for me, and I'm wondering how other people who are yeah. writers or readers are feeling with it. Yeah, that's a good question, too. Okay. Should we have our next, our next sort of 
agenda item, if you will. We have, um, like you asked about, uh, what about how you interact with the literary community was one was still part yeah. of the question. So um, a lot of people really love the virtual readings and uh, I'm, I'm just not as comfortable. I don't really, I just don't feel that comfortable like uh, attending a, a say as a reading on Zoom at, unless I can have my audio and video off or even better if I can just um, completely just come in later and listen to something I'd rather like I'd rather listen to podcasts or read or things like that but instead I've been corresponding with fellow writers a lot via email and letter a lot more I find a lot of people seem to have time now for um, long email correspondences or even letters so I really uh, I really appreciate that and that's right. I've been doing more and more like I have a correspondence with a, a woman from Ireland who's a visual poet uh, Rob McLennan has been mailing letters to people so I just sent him a long letter in response and uh, yeah there have been uh, some nice um, back and forths with people over email people seem to be taking longer like responding to emails and taking time to um, write longer things rather than just answering things and getting them over with quick so that's kind of nice too I find. Yeah. I wonder how it like increases the, I'm not sure if this is the right word, but the humanity in people or just the um, awareness of our interactions with others and appreciating those interactions more because we're having less, I guess, you know, yeah. physical interactions with people or seeing people out in the world. Perhaps it's, this is allowing us or forcing us even to be more cognizant of how we are interacting with people and when we are interacting with people and appreciating it more than we would normally. Yeah, it's 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 a nice thing if you've been if you've spent your whole day alone and to uh, or just in meetings, say or or say you you've also been spending like a lot of friends have kids and and they're trying to figure out how to homeschool the kids, do their work and all the other stuff. So if they have some moments they can just spend away from that, they, I guess it's it's precious time, right? So have you been have you reconnected with anyone or just like have you reached out to people that you haven't talked to in a while because you've you've thought of them or just have the space to now and have, have you sort of had any like, I don't know, made any connections with people that you hadn't been talking to for a long time because of partially because of the pandemic? Yeah. Well, I made a point um, starting in, I guess, March of uh, sending messages to people on Facebook, for instance, who just checking in and seeing how people are. And in some cases there are people I hadn't heard from in a while and so, yeah, I, I've been, I, I started to make a point of that in, in March. I, I think I haven't been doing it that much this month, but in March and April, I was really doing that quite a bit, checking in with people and um, more, more people I'm close to, but also others as well. And also for, even for the podcast, I've, I've, um, and for different Angel House Press and Bywords things, I've been, I've been chatting more with people. So yeah, I, I definitely made a point of reaching out to people. Yeah. But, I've, th I've thought about it. It's something I think about from time to time, you know, just people that you may have lost touch with or not be in touch with as much as before. I haven't, I haven't really, to be honest. Um, I always wonder if, you know, when you, when you haven't talked to someone in a while, you drift apart, like, do they want to hear from you? Do you want to have that reconnection? Or, you know, it's so, it's kind of hard sometimes to read the situation and what, you know, other people are, are wanting or how they would, you know, respond to, um, you know, reaching out a reconnection. I'm sure most of the time people are happy about it and it's, it's cause it's nice to be thought of. Um, but I think I second guess myself a lot with, with that. So I, I don't always end up, end up doing it, but I feel like now is probably if there was a time or a reason to reach out to people, it's now isn't a bad time to, to do so. Yeah. And, and if, if both parties are thinking that then no one will, right? So <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly. It's exactly right. It's someone has to be the one to initiate yeah. uh, initiate that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess are you finding it because your I guess your interactions with the literary community have kind of shifted a bit. Like you were saying, there's more long form communication, obviously less in person interaction. How are you feeling with that shift uh, in how you're communicating with other? other writers or readers or people in that sort of community. How do you feel about the, the, the change in how our interactions are occurring? Well, I think uh, like I used to, um, of course, in ye olden days, <laughs> I used to go to a lot more readings and events. And then, I don't know, I find in the last couple of years, I wasn't really attending that many events. And so 
I haven't felt the loss of having in-person events as much as other people I think have felt. And um, so, you know, that's one thing I, I have noticed. I kind of enjoy my solitude a lot. And uh, also like at, in the evenings, I'm pretty tired. I don't know why, maybe that will pass at some point, but um, I, I feel like I, I don't have the energy to, to sort of participate in, in stuff like that right these days. So that's another thing, but I really do like, um, I like the idea of, I, I really miss being able to have like in-person one-on-one sort of like coffee and uh, lunch with friends. And that's, that's the part that I really miss most uh, is, uh, those connections, being able to just go into a cafe and hang out with somebody for an hour is, is uh, you know, yeah. I think that's hardest for me. Not so much the events, although it was sad to see like things like Verse Fest and the Writers Festival yeah. having to be, um, I don't know what we we're going to call it, cancelled. And and um, but I mean the thing is, it's understandable. So we're just we're just sort of accepting all that. And we're and if you want, you can always find. I mean, there's lots of ways to connect with people, and also um, virtually, um, you can listen to. Um, podcasts like ours or you can you can watch videos or, or tune into some of these events which we'll talk about too yeah but like you said it's it's different than the in-person experience and it's not so much events that i miss although i do miss like the festivals and events in general not just literary events but i do miss yeah. like you know i go sometimes to events and i you know i like going every every couple of weeks to something and it's you know it's, it's nice but i think what i miss more is just that in-person uh we'll say more intimate connections with people. And I find that, like we were saying, there's a lot more people who are seemingly taking the time to write longer emails and connect a little more digitally. But because of the nature of my work, I'm already doing that and have always been doing that because most, like I, my work is constant email or conversations with people, you know? So, (laughs) So exactly. So it's, it's, it's not, so in the evenings, I don't crave more of that. I have that quite a lot already that's the majority of my job and you kind of when you get when you finish that after eight hours you're kind of um, a lot of the time I'm tapped out I don't necessarily want to be texting or emailing or on, even on social media because it's that sort of interaction I've had my fill it's that one-on-one or even small group in-person interaction that I yeah. have been missing and lacking now and that is, is kind of hard I find it hard to replace uh, right now as well yeah, no, that make that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't miss the, I miss the one-on-one for sure. That's the main thing that I miss. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, after all these months, uh, at some point, um, I'm assuming things will be less restricted. What do you think? Do you think you'll have any takeaways or any like, I don't know, like things that you you'll reflect on after when things are more more what we're used to. Um, coming out of this this time? Well, I think I, I, I discovered that I enjoy solitude much more than I realized. Like that I, I actually, uh, being alone as much as I as I am, I kind of, I've kind of been enjoying it. So uh, I kind of like not having to have a lot of reasons to be with others, although I miss the one-on-ones. Uh, and then also, this, this is a small thing, but um, uh, since this started, I've been making coffee for Charles first thing in the morning that he can take so he doesn't have to get any coffee from uh, Tim Hortons and he can keep using his own mugs and have it throughout the day. And so there's coffee left over and I have that coffee now every morning on the weekday. So I'm now I'm relishing that more than I used to. <laughs> so that's, that's, um, that's something. And as far as takeaways, I, this is more of a, I guess, a society, societal thing rather than a literary thing, but um, you really, you really do notice um, the difference between the way uh, there's, you can see that there's still a a hierarchy with classes and that classes are being treated differently. Like you see that um, like they, they talk about opening up the economy, for example, but a lot of people have through this have had to work all the, all the retail, a lot of retail people, a lot of uh, the so-called essential workers. And it's, it's like, they're not, they're not considered or a lot of the uh, advice given out to people had were, was, was great advice. If you, if you owned a home and you drove a car, but not necessarily great advice if you lived in an apartment building and had to use communal laundry or elevators and you know things like and and had to take public transit so that advice has come later but 
the sort of a narrative of a of a kind of a American dream 50s household where you know uh the, the what, there's a you know it just it just feels like that narrative is still very firmly in place in society and I was surprised by that so yeah that's a that's a really good point and something that I've I've thought about as well it's 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 not just that the the class class separation exists in it there's messaging to that effect uh that's reinforcing it but it's it's also, I think there might be even a larger separation after this, because as you're saying, a lot of the, you know, people that are in lower paying jobs or have less power are being forced to, or they still have to go in physically into work. So I'm still working, but my job is such that I can work from home. And there's going to like, and the people that are able to have it, who have jobs that you can work from home with those jobs, you can work from home, which often are ones that are, are higher paying or have more status that's that's only going to become more more of the case and there's going to be even more of a separation i think between people who have you know uh, the ability to to work from home and those sorts of jobs and the ones who don't now if you're going into having to go into physically into work you might get sick more and i know that there's there's all these sorts of regulations and and uh, advice about how to the distance when you're in work and to be safe but i'm sure that if you're working a minimum wage job and you have few options and you're not necessarily fall. You're not necessarily, and if your supervisor is telling you to do something, it's very hard to say. Well, no, the public health regulations say this. So you're probably being put into some pretty uncomfortable uh, situations. Exactly. So I, I've been very conscious of the class effects of this pandemic. Some that are already, a lot that were already you know exist, but are just being reinforced and probably even perpetuated even more. And it's. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to reflect on, and I, I really feel very um, grateful and lucky to be able to work from home in the situation that I'm in. And like I was saying to before to you before the podcast started, I feel like I'm in the top one percent right now with, with the, just how I'm able to keep working and keep my livelihood up while still re- remaining relatively safe when so many people don't have that luxury. That's it. That's that's true. And and other things that are interesting too, or like for instance, um, you know, disabled friends are saying, you know, we've been asking for the uh, the we've been asking to be allowed to work from home for years, and we were told it wasn't possible, you know, and now suddenly it is, you know. So uh, it's just in, it's just interesting how certain groups are being have been neglected and are continuing to be neglected while others, you know, again, I call it, what I call it is I call them the co-hos, the car owner, homeowners, you know, that's sort of my short form for the class, the, the ones that are sort of, that's the, those ones are being thought of the most. And it's, yeah, that- you're right. And I also think that people with, uh, you know, mental health struggles, hmm. have had some of the same, you know, issues with trying to have workplace accommodations and they're, you know, having may have some difficulties, but now that it's become a bit more socially acceptable, let's say, or more of a norm to say, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable or anxious about this or that. I guess the bright side of it uh, for all for all of us is that, you know, now that we've started to embrace things like uh, working from home or started to think outside the box and how we can be more accommodating, hopefully now that there's, you know, a, a longer term shift in how we're thinking about our work, how we're interacting with each other you know, our mental health, everything. Um, so maybe there's one positive, well, there's some, there's going to be some positive takeaways. Maybe that's one positive takeaway from this is like some kind of social shift towards that. Yeah, that would be great if, if, if that was the case. I, I hope so. I hope that, um, and I do find as, as sort of the, the um, shutdown or at least the, the, this partial, whatever it's called now is going on. Um, there, they, I mean, there more groups are being addressed, and we're being we're being uh, told more, we're being given more guidelines that are more applicable to people. So, for instance, for homeless people now in Ottawa, you, there's now some porta potties, and also McNabb um, Recreation Centre has uh, now has uh, um, bathrooms that anyone can use, and showers and stuff that people can go in and use, and places where you can go and sit down and stuff like that. So that's all new and and a good thing as they're close. Because a lot of yeah. other facilities were closed to them, like the public libraries and stuff. So, yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of a positive and a negative. It's a positive because maybe these these changes will be long term. It's kind of a negative that this is what it took for us to, as a society, to 
to care about or think about marginalized population, these certain marginalized populations. You know, it's it's good and bad, I guess, as a reflection in our society. It's it's hard not to be a bit cynical and and think yeah. that the only reason they're being thought of is because uh, we're all in this together, and yeah. unless everyone is practicing the same measures, then you you can't you can't uh, flatten the curve. You can't. Uh, I mean, lower the chances of getting people getting COVID nineteen. So it's you know yeah. I mean <laughs> that's kind of uh, an interesting uh, reason, but. Uh, We'll yeah, it. exactly. It is. It's hundred percent. It's most of why that's I think occurring is because it's there's a risk to the people, uh, the mainstream or people in power, right? So, yeah, uh, but you know there can be still a positive takeaway, even though if that's how it started. And, and just a, a sort of a, a, a back to the idea of we're talking about writing and stuff like yeah, yeah. All, all of these thoughts are constantly um, going through my head all the time. I've been using my what was my literary blog to write like sort of a couple of times a week. I'll write a little um, blog entry about these sort of things and uh, the things I'm seeing in my experiences. I think uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about right now as a writer is um, part of our job as writers. Well, some people think that part of the job of a writer or the role of a writer is to act as serve as a witness. And I certainly feel that. Mm -hmm times so I'm trying to keep regular journal entries but also on my blog I'm trying to write uh, things about what I'm feeling and stuff like I wrote a whole thing about trying to learn how to wear a mask when when you're claustrophobic like I am like it was it was mm -hmm. hell on wheels for me I, I tried and tried and I I couldn't get it and then uh, I don't know I've changed now the type of mask I'm wearing and I seem to be able to wear it uh, for long enough <laughs> that I can, you know, not uh, that I can protect other people. But I was feeling really bad about it because I couldn't. Yeah. And 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 there's so much shaming, and it's like, well, there's a lot of reasons why people aren't able to to um, wear the mask, and you know, like uh, people with cognitive and intellectual um, disabilities, for instance, or might have or deaf people. There's a lot of reasons why a lot of people are not wearing the mask. So um, even the the chief. Uh, um, federal uh, health public officer, public health officer said, you know, don't judge people for not wearing masks. You don't know why they're not wearing them. So yeah, but well, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. So I think that yeah. Anyway, back to the the sort of writing or arts based uh, lens on this. Um, I think that what we were talking about earlier in terms of feeling guilty about being productive, I think that what I'll take away is, you don't, I, I, I know this cognitively, but I guess more maybe on an emotional level that it's okay to not do X, Y, or Z. It's okay to not um, accomplish something or to go somewhere. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm enjoying, if I'm enjoying that lack of pressure right now, there's no reason why, aside from my own, you know, psychology, there's no reason why I can't have the same sort of experience when things are reopening. And just because things are reopened doesn't mean I have to go out to them. But I, know. It, <laughs> and I do like going sometimes. So it's, I guess it's maintaining that uh, mindset and that balance of, you know, going to some things sometimes, but not putting the pressure on myself to try to do, it's not all or nothing. It's, you know, yeah, you're picking two once in a while to go to things. Yeah, I, I think that's something that you, you have to sort of learn what your limits are and both physically and emotionally and mentally, like as far as all that. I mean, especially when you're when you're working all day, it's, sometimes it's hard to go out at night anyway. So, Well, that's just it, right? I think, too, um, I've had a lot of different, you know, almost lifestyles, I'll say, with different jobs or, or life stages I've been in. And some of those lifestyles and life stages are conducive to evenings and to going out and to you know, drinking or whatever, and some of those life stages aren't so conducive to that. So it's, it's your own sort of personality, but it's also just like how your days are and like what you're feeling at that time of your, or that part of your life at what makes the most sense to you. So yeah, I think that'll be one of my, one of my takeaways. And, and also that kind of what we we're talking about before as well, in terms of, you know, how much you're reading or writing or finishing up a project yes, I've been a bit more productive and that's, and that's great. But I feel like even if I had, you know, I was never allowed to leave my house, didn't have to work. I'm not sure how much more productive I would be in terms of reading or writing really <laughs> kind of a realization of, I have a sort of optimal amount of reading and writing or project focused things that I like to do in my life that, you know, makes sense to me and makes me happy. And it's probably never going to be 50 hours a week. It's going to be, you know, 
right. a few hours for my week or however much it is that's best for me at the time. And it's kind of like realizing that and, ex- and accepting that as well. That yeah, is something that's something you're going to try harder to do. Pardon me? That's a good realization, isn't it? It'll be even better if I can action it appropriately. That's right. <laughs> One of uh, one of my one of the things that's um, a problem for me is with the libraries having been closed. I have like I usually do. I have like projects where I do a lot of research and I rely on the libraries quite a bit because I can't afford to buy as many books as I as I need for research. Because uh, I'll usually just use them for maybe one or two projects, and then I you know I won't. Well, I might. I still would probably like to have them, but I can't afford. So for me, not having access to the libraries has really been hard. So. There are a couple of projects that I'm, well, one of the good things is when you have, um, when you get um, for the funding and stuff from say like um, the Ontario Arts Council or the city, like if, if you if you have to be delayed because of something like that, then they'll give you extra time to write your reports and stuff like that. But I have a couple of uh, grants and uh, that there's a part of it for one of them that I need to read a bunch of experimental prose and I don't have access to any at home and I can't afford to buy it. So yeah, yeah. So it's kind of messing me up a bit with my writing. On the other side of the ledger, is there any, have you made any new discoveries in the past couple of months or stumbled upon anything or anything so, new like that? Yeah, actually uh, something I think I was just starting to get into as, uh, as we, as we shut down is a website called letterboxd.com. It's letterboxd with a D.com. It's a site for films and reviews. It's like the Goodreads of uh, film. And that's been really, really great for finding um, good movies to watch. People write really, like basically just anyone can go in and write a review and and, t- and make really interesting lists about movies. Like I've been um, I've been uh, reading up on different uh, lists of movies. I, I, what was, oh, Darn! Oh yeah, I, I I never knew this term before. It's it's about it's about types of movies called mumblecore. Have you ever heard of mumblecore? No, it sounds like an interesting term though. It's it's basically indie movies that uh, tend to be about young people. It's coming of age movies. They a lot of them were set maybe in the earlier maybe in the early to mid aughts. And a movie like Francis Ha is considered to be a sort of mumblecore, but so there's whole lists of mumblecore movies and stuff you can you can find out about. And I love actually I love those kind of movies. They're dialogue more than more than, and character more than plot focused. And uh, so anyway, mumblecore is something I learned about during this time. And Letterboxd.com. I'll put the link up to Letterboxd. Well, those are both very cool sounding words and terms. So uh, you're very hip, Amanda. I, suddenly, I, suddenly, the pandemic has 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 improved my hip quotient. There, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my I think my new discoveries are are a little less interesting. Um, so, as many people probably have, I've you know taken to walking around my neighborhood a little more than I would have before, and I realized that there's a few directions or areas I would never have gone. I never went in before. So I'm walking down these streets that I'm like, I've never even been down here before, even though I go for, I go walk for walk relatively frequently. So I've kind of at this point exhausted everything within walking distance in terms of places to walk to, but I was having a bit more of a, I guess an appreciation or a bit more of an interaction with the the physical area of where I live, uh, especially at the beginning, which is, which is, uh, which was kind of, which is kind of nice. Um, and another thing is I've, I've taken to, going through um, every time I move, which has been pretty frequently over, you know, my adult life, I have boxes I take with me and, you know, I I only really open them to move. (laughs) Yeah. So so I've been going through those and being like, you know what, I need to, let's just cut this in half. There's some things I don't ever want to necessarily get rid of for whatever reason, but there's some things that I can be a bit more, you know, let go. So I've been doing that and upon doing that, I, you know, I go through old writing or old memories or old things like that. And it's kind of like encountering an earlier version of yourself or a different mentality that you had in like half your life ago. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to reflect on that. And I think I've been doing a lot of reflection the past couple of months as probably a lot of people have. And it's just kind of interesting to, to see, you know, like, oh, that's where I was however many years ago. And this is where I am now. And to kind of think about, you know, what's happened to bring you to where you are currently and what you used to write about or think about or used to do. And maybe you've forgotten completely about that. Or maybe that was the early time or early stages of something that you do even more regularly now or think about more regularly now. 
so that's sort of going through those you know those those things has been uh you know it's kind of interesting and have helping me put you know just life or things in perspective a bit more interesting and do you find that any of your old writing do you find it shows a, a difference in the way you're writing now like looking at the older work i don't know if there's been a fundamental shift off the top of my head yeah. aside from saying that i think i am more probably a lot more direct in my writing now and less um and less uh reliant on cliches oh. so i would say that uh, the main thing I've noticed is just a general writing, more writing maturity, if you can call it that, or if I can call it that. Um, but I think, and I guess like the topics have shifted a little bit. Um, but I, I think that the way in which I, I think is is relatively has been relatively stable um, a lot of a lot of my life too, which is I guess is also interesting in a way. Yeah, that is. <laughs> so are you are you writing? Uh... Are you writing uh, COVID or, or isolation-inspired poems? <laughs> I thought about it. You know what? I thought about if I had the desire to do this, if I could crank out 100 pages of COVID isolation poems right now and send it off to a, a publisher that did fast turnarounds, now would be the time to do that because I think a lot of people would be are interested in reading that. But I think that... Uh, as it's something you said something interesting earlier about the writer's I or poet's job in a way is to to document or to witness yeah. or some people think that and yeah. you know maybe I I think that you know COVID or isolation inspiration is going to come naturally into most a lot of things that I'm probably going to be writing over the next little while because you can't really separate your context from what you're writing in in a lot of ways. But I feel like so many people are going to be doing that, that uh, I, I don't need to pressure myself to, to write about that topic. How about you? Well, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really writing a lot of poetry. I was writing just the, like the things I was talking about, the little blog entries, most, for the most part. I had to do a lot of editing for these um, projects that are basically have finished up and I have to write reports for. But yeah. then ARC came along with a poetry contest. I don't know if you've heard about it, ARC's Award of Awesomeness. No, so, I haven't. Yeah, it's it's like this 50-50. I, I, I don't have, I'll put the link up to the contest to explain it properly. So it started in April. And in April, the rule was, and they have a constraint every month. Um, you get half the money from the, like, there's a cash prize of half, the, you know, if it's like a 50-50, you get half of the money that is sent in, I guess. And you get some kind of vintage object. But the, that wasn't really why. I, it's just that they had a constraint of uh, either 50 words or 50 lines. And I suddenly found my write, myself writing a lot of poems uh, that were 50, either 50 words or 50 lines. And some of them were COVID-19 poems. So that inspired me. And I, it's like, it's, it's, it's $2 per poem. And if you, if you want to, you can mail them a toonie along with your poem. Home, or you can um, you can do it online if you do like I think it's it's five, I can't remember ten poems for twenty dollars or something. But um, so that inspired me. And so I ended up writing. I'm not I'm not going to win any of their contests, but it's it's fun to be inspired. And I have right now about twenty pages of poetry that I've written. So uh, from there, so and I'll, well, maybe I'll, it'll be what you'll have one of those COVID collections that I'm talking about then in a couple of years. <laughs> I, I sort of feel like uh, I think a lot of us uh, like those those like I see a lot online uh, on on Facebook and stuff. I see people posting um, the COVID nineteen stuff again. I, I think the most important thing to me right now is that it's a kind of a form of documentation of the time we're in, and and um, it'll come in handy. I mean, a decade ago we had another pandemic. We had H one N one, but I yeah. was actually in the in the hospital at the time, <laughs> not for H one N one, but. Uh, uh, Charles was basically telling me what it was like for him at the time of that pandemic, and uh, I don't even know anything about it because I was I was in the hospital for the month when it was really uh, I was tested, but I didn't have that. But uh, so like he had to come in and wear a wear wear a full you know uh, face shield and mask to into the ICU and stuff like that. I don't even know stuff like that. So so yeah, I guess to document these things, it's kind of an important thing. Do you do you feel like it's like a, the duty then of a of a artist, we'll say, or a writer to document these historical or socio-economic, socio-political things? I'm a little scared of words like duty and the word should. Also, I thought you would be. <laughs> yeah, but but um, on the I mean I don't know if it's everyone's 
if everyone, I guess if that's what, if you feel like it is, like, then it is. I mean, I, <laughs> if you feel like it's not, then it's not like, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, but I mean, it's true that the thing about, about poets is we're, we're, we're supposed to be good at observing things and, and good at paying attention and listening. So I think it certainly would be helpful to the world and to people if we are able to articulate the things that, that are not that easy to articulate or that go unsaid. And I always think that if you can do it, um, that's great. You know, it's helpful, I think. I think it is helpful to, I think poetry is can be helpful to humanity. Um, so then it's kind of similar to like what people might say journalism does just on a more, I don't know, like a different sort of wavelength. Poetry, I would say, is more intimate or more uh, emotional or more of a connection-based thing, whereas journalism is more just fact-oriented. So it's a similar sort of approach in terms of documentation or witnessing yeah. with a different venue or avenue of doing it. That's it. Yeah, it's 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 it, it could maybe it's it's it's. I mean, it depends on the poet. Too. Some poets can write very um, uh, poetry, which is very um, impersonal too. Like it's, it just depends on what style you're working in. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that um, all forms of art are can serve uh, to to wit be be witnesses to the times that we're going through. That's interesting. I I, t I every once in a while I'll try writing about. Um, events like external events and i usually find the poems i write like that are not my best work uh mm -hmm. to put it lightly i find that personally when it's kind of interweaved into a different narrative or a different story or a different experience and it's kind of more in the background or alluded to or it's impacting it in some way like i i personally i don't know if i could write a a good poem about COVID-19. No. Maybe I could write a poem about something where it was, it was present, you know what I mean? It was present in the poem, but not a direct narrative about it. Well, that's it. And I think that is maybe more closer to what I'm talking about when I'm saying witnessing. I, I think, I mean, you can read, you'll, we'll be able to read in theory anyway, we'll be able to read about what actually physically happened, um, what, what politically happened, but what about, the way, like for instance, I, I don't know if I can write a poem about this, but I've noticed when I walk down the street, people don't necessarily look me in the eye, even when I'm not wearing a mask. And, and there's a kind of a feeling that somehow we're all a bit more anxious and, and that anxiety is a palpable feeling. You know, you can really feel it. I don't know, I've been thinking about this for a while. I don't know how to write about it, but that's not the sort of thing you're gonna read in say a, a newspaper article on, on COVID-19. So that, that's what I'm talking about. That's a really good point. And I've actually noticed the same thing and I, I don't know why it feels, yeah. there's, it's, either, it's either one or the other. I feel like 90% of the people I'm walking by, we pretend like we don't exist. You know, it's like uh, we were, we're afraid of interacting or we're embarrassed or there's something going on. But then there's also the 10% who are like even more friendly than you. Like that I, I like to smile at people if I walk by or, you know, some yeah, sort of acknowledgement like that if there's only yeah. a couple of uh, two of us. And yeah. when I do that and it's reciprocated, it's the person that I'm seeing seems mm -hmm. to be overjoyed that I looked at them and smiled, yeah. you know, which is a little uh not quite how it normally would have went before this and it's it's kind of nice when that happens if you both yeah. you know you went by contact and you smile and acknowledge each other it feels um it better than it would normally yeah it, it's 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 good to have some warmth and intimacy at a time where it feels like we're i don't know it just it's just a scary time and and any kind of reassurance of humanity is a good thing i think but i have noticed a lot of people like they just don't they can't meet me in the eye and they and and of course we all do this we we walk to the other side of the street because we have we're trying to you know be good about that sort of thing but uh, well not everyone's doing it but a lot of us are doing it and uh, so that sort of takes away from the interaction as well but there's there's a really different feel and do you do you find this too when i'm watching a, a say a movie or a tv show and people are all close together i find it i find myself feeling uncomfortable like, it's like <laughs> no i don't do that <laughs> I've, I've started to be trained to you know <laughs> from people so it's weird to um pretty funny <laughs> i see old movies where they didn't have cell phones and going why are they just finding out where this is on their like where the where <laughs> gps you know 
No, I haven't done that, but I have, I always do um, when I see like, you know, if I know an awkward social situation is coming up in a TV show, I'll hide my eyes. I hate watching like knowing those will come, right? So I, and I, and I realize that I like, I enjoy it better if I just don't see it, you know? So I will cover my eyes. <laughs> like some people cor- cover their eyes before a gory incident. You cover it during a gory social scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's funny. <laughs> gory social. <laughs> All right, Amanda, what do you think? Should we talk about a bit about what uh, we're reading and uh, events? Sure, sure. All right. What are, you, what are you currently or what have you recently read? I've been, um, so what I did uh, early on in the pandemic was reorganize my bookshelves. I've reorganized them into books that I have read and have not read. So I wanted to start, as you kind of mentioned earlier, um, kind of going through things that are, I've been meaning to read or have been on my list or have been on my bookshelf that I haven't mm-hmm. read yet. And one of the things I've been reading is I have a giant uh, collected works of F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've, been, I've been slowly going through that. Uh, the, a, a couple of the things I read, with a couple of the books were good. A couple of them are kind of dragging a bit, but I've been reading that. I've also uh, picked up, I don't know if I was feeling kind of cheeky at the moment when I picked this up, but I picked up The Plague by Albert Camus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had to read that in university. <laughs> Boy, and it's you know what it's it was written like i'm not sure when like i don't know 80 90 years ago maybe more and it was it's it's a fiction but it's some of the like the the all the narrative in terms of like what happened in the, in the city or during this plague it's like wow it's a lot of stuff's pretty spot on with what happened with this yeah. like, it's kind of weird and, and yeah it's it, it, it's interesting in that but it's an, it's an okay read i think i like some of those other books a bit better but uh I've been reading those and I've been also, I find this more and more, but uh, for poetry, instead of, instead of going to read a magazine or click on a site, to be honest, a lot of my day to day or week to week interaction with poetry is when I see direct text on social media or, or being shared to me. So it's not even if there's a link, I might not click on it, but if it's just in the body of a tweet, if it's in an Instagram post, if it's on Facebook and it's there, the text is there, I'll often read it. But yeah. as soon as there's a link introduced, my chances of engaging is like, so is way down. So a lot of my poem reading is like one off, one hits, you know, uh, on these platforms. Wow, that's interesting. And I, I think that that's not an uncommon thing just in general and maybe even more so for some people. I, I, I haven't, I haven't been, I've been reading, um, that um, book, the twenty um, first uh, century American women poets. So I've been reading uh, poetry that way. Uh, I actually um, a book I, I just finished was Ocean Vong's On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous, which is a which is a novel. Well, it's, I would it's classified as a novel. To me, it's more like a long poem, mm-hmm. so, and it's it's really beautiful. But when I first started to read it, because sometimes. Uh, books, uh, fiction or, or nonfiction or prose written by poets can be hard to read because every sentence is so meticulous and so, so well-crafted, you don't really want to move on. And it was kind of like this with this book at first. The pace does pick up, actually, um, uh, partway through, uh, but it is, it's a really, really good book. And I, it's like a coming-of-age story. He builds the story very gradually, and, and uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend that one. It's it's a wonderful one. And I started to read, um, I decided, uh, I read um, Isabella Allende's most recent novel, A Long Petal of the Sea, and it was really good. It starts off with um, the main characters are basically um, in this, they're, they're in the Spanish Civil War, and then they're fleeing Spain, and they go to, um, they go to Chile, but um, it, some of the stuff that they talk about to do with the sort of the um, the time, it, a lot of it felt like it was, it sort of was a lot like what we're going through now, or you know. So that was kind of interesting to read too. And I, I read uh, years ago. I read one of, I guess I read um, House of Spirits by Isabel Allende a long time ago. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, what I'll do during this time is I'll read as many of her books as I can. And that was before I decided I had to save or had realized I had to save money. But so I read A Long Petal of the Sea in the Midst of Winter, The Japanese Lover, and then a book that stopped me called Ripper, which was actually, she tried to write like a, like a sort of a crime novel, like a mystery. And 
it really wasn't very good. So I, I sort of, it's sort of like, okay, I don't really feel like reading any more of her books now, but that was my goal to read all of, she's got something like 24 novels. So my plan was to read all of them at this time, but. Uh, you know what? I had no idea she was still alive. Yeah, well, she's, I mean, she's certainly of an age where she might not be, but uh, she's still writing and um, still uh, living a vibrant life from what I understand. And uh, wow. so have you read any of her work? Well, just the House of, House of the Spirits uh, yeah. quite, quite a number of years ago now, like you said, but I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good book. And I have one, I have another one of her books whose name escapes me right now on my bookshelf. It's on my haven't read yet pile. So maybe I'll get to it. Uh, at some point but yeah I, I quite liked House of the Spirits so like there's no reason why I, I certainly won't read over 20 of her books I don't think <laughs> but well, if, if you get the I chance to read A Long Petal of the Sea I highly recommend I think that that one is, is especially riveting too the other thing I like about Isabel Yende in a lot of her books she's talking about immigrants and she's talking about um, refugees and so it a lot of it is really relevant to now and especially A Long okay. Petal of the Sea which just came out this year is relevant to the situation for people at the board, like from coming from uh, Central America, you know, to the to the states and the issues they're going through with the borders and stuff, it's a pretty interesting read. It's it's quite yeah. good. I think when I first read her book, I was reading her as an example of magic realism. Um, yeah. that's true, right? She she wrote in that. Is, is she still writing in that sort of vein? She's still. I mean, it's still part. It still seems to be part of her writing. But I, this last book, it didn't have too much of that in there. So, okay. Yeah, that's what she's known for as well. I've heard that too. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about events, Amanda? You have you have uh, listed quite a few on our on our agenda. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about any of them? Sure. So we we. Um, uh, of course, we can't attend events in person, so a lot of uh, some some of the reading series and some of the um, uh, uh, places are or people are organizing different styles of uh, of uh, giving us a chance to hear writers and writers being able to uh, uh, share their work. So I attended the very first iridescent robot storytelling club hosted by Danielle K L Gregoire, who we've who we've uh, interviewed here. Yeah. It was quite a lovely. It's as she says, it's a place for your gentle and hopeful stories and takes place on zoom every week on thursday nights 8 p.m eastern standard time so it's a virtual extension of of her or sorry of danielle's performance venue curious and kind so danielle invites several people to tell stories and also includes a musician who will write a theme song for the show but like a lot of these zoom events you have to sign up ahead of time to uh to be admitted. So the, I went to the first one. The theme song was by Benoit Christie, and he's really talented. So that was great fun. There were five guest storytellers and a feature, uh, the mighty Mike McGee. And uh, he's actually come to Ottawa before uh, to spoken word events. So it was quite inspiring. He's a, especially Mike is a really great storyteller. He told a true story about a couple who'd lost each other during the Holocaust. But then we found each other very recently at a wedding. So um, that was quite a magnificent story. Yeah, so that's a really good. And that series is happening every Thursday. It's uh, if you can pay, donate some money, all the money goes to the to the storytellers. So, so Danielle, uh, make sure they get the money for that. So and I also attended something a little different. I, I attended a Zoom listening party, which is a listening party for uh, 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 an episode of, of the spoken webcast. Um, spoken webcast um, is a really great well-made and professional sounding podcast about Canadian literature and that uh, it's part of um, a bigger thing that gets funding from academic organizations and it has a participation of a lot of uh, academics and writers so episode 8 which is the one I listened to uh, through this zoom listening party it was a fascinating episode which talked about how we are listening during COVID-19 and what has changed, especially in regard to literary events. So it's, it's completely related to, um, to what we're talking about right now. Uh, the two um, who produced it were Jason Camelot uh, from Montreal and Catherine McLeod. So they produced the episode and interviewed various guests. Jason interviewed some of the students in one of his classes 
And so we listened as a group and people wrote comments about the episode via Zoom's chat feature, which was fun. And they had a discussion on the episode afterwards, which I had to miss, unfortunately, because was, it was like four o'clock and I had to move on to other things. But it was, it was I, I highly recommend that show. And I actually had a chance to listen to another one of their episodes, The Voice is Intact, Finding Gwendolyn McEwen in the Archive from April 6th. And it was produced by Hannah McGregor, who hosts Room Magazine's uh, Fainting Couch Feminist, which is another one of a podcast that I like. So the, there was a conversation between Hannah, Jen Suk Fong Lee, and Catherine McLeod. So they talked about McEwen's work, her voice, and her relationship with Milton Acorn. And they they what this what they do with the podcast through the spoken web um, site is they make use of archived recordings for literary events from the past so you got to hear you get to hear different people read and it was really interesting to hear i've heard it before um when gwendolyn McEwen to hear her read uh, before so that was quite that was quite neat and they have that's their eighth episode so there are there are a bunch or that was their i guess their seventh but uh they have like eight episodes so far so uh, it's i'll put up the link because that's great and uh, and then i i was also another way that um People are doing um, um, as, as to, instead of having live readings, is they're also um, recording video readings. So there've been some series like Rob McLennan started a new journal just at the start, just before COVID nineteen. Well, before it, it came to Ottawa, I guess, called Periodicities. And so it, he has a virtual reading series that I got to read at, and uh, the Dead Poets Reading Series in Vancouver is another one with. Isabella Wang and um, American writer Orchid Tierney has a reading series called Distancia Remote Reading Series, which she set up in March. And she's had all kinds of um, reading series. Um, uh, she's had all kinds of uh, people come in and poets read uh, their poems and stuff. So uh, aside from that, there have been several events by Ottawa's literary community. Uh, the Riverbed Reading Series. Uh, do you know, have you heard about the Riverbed Reading Series? Do you know about that yet? I've heard about it, but why don't you tell us a bit about it? So it's it's a new series that uh, was going to start um, in in person. Uh, it's run uh, hosted by Ellen Chang Richardson and Nina uh, Jane Dristick, and they were going to start that series, but instead they they're starting it online. So they had their first online reading on May the twenty first, and I don't remember who. I'm sorry, I, I didn't attend, and I I but. Um, a lot of interesting people read, including Conyer Clayton and, and different people. So I, I and I heard it was really good. In our tongue, celebrated Asian Heritage Month, month um, with a with a um, online re, uh, Zoom reading. And uh, Tree had a reading and workshop, and they're having another one uh, this Tuesday. It depends on what this one. I think is with uh, Jeff Blackman and Andy Fairbroom, and they're even having a workshop. But you have to sign up for the workshop ahead of time because they're only letting twelve people. They, I guess, they only have the facility for twelve people for the workshop. Uh, storyteller Jackie Dutois had regular storytelling events for a while, and Urban Legends also had an open mic and a slam, which they may they may do again. Uh, Youth Speak Poetry Slams are happening via Discord for people under 22. And Susan Johnston, who used to do um, Friday Special Blend on CKCU, she started to host a show on Tuesday afternoons called Asking for a Friend. It's 3 p.m. Uh, every Tuesday and focus on performance of music and story. So there's a lot of these things uh, happening. If, if, you, if you do miss... Uh, um, readings you can always you can do these and of course there's the NAC has a Canada performs which is um, it has both music and writers so um, um, a few different writers I can't remember right now I don't think I'm not sure if they've had any Ottawa writers yet but um, so there's uh, there's that as well yeah that's quite a lot of stuff and I wonder with with sort of this rise in uh, digital or online series if any of this will continue after the fact I bet you some of it will it's a nice way to sort of, as much as I like uh, community-oriented things, well, I guess this is a, it's still a community, but I, as much as I like neighborhood-oriented things, it's something that's nice about us, you know, it, not mattering if you're living in Ottawa or Toronto or Vancouver or wherever and being able to attend the same, you know, event. It's, it's kind of nice from, the, from that perspective. Yeah, so exactly. Some of these, I bet, and I bet you some will. I bet you hope there'll be some of these. Uh, readings and these performances for for when the situation is done. How are you finding, um, you know, attending or, or or watching these these things? And how does it compare to like an in person event? 
Well, I think I, I was saying earlier that I'm I'm not a good I'm really not a good example. As I, I actually I, I enjoyed the ones I only I only did two of the Zoom ones and I enjoyed them, but I was also kind of uncomfortable just because I I don't know I'm just uncomfortable with the idea of having to well you don't have to I mean you can turn off your audio and your video but at the same time it's kind of like a social part too and at the start people are chatting and stuff and I just feel the same sort of social awkwardness as I do at read at, at live readings where well they're both the live readings <laughs> sorry but yeah I, I don't, I'm just not comfortable and you know what I realized I realized that at least in at this time in my life I may just not be at the stage where I'm comfortable with readings whether they're in person um, or um, through a through a like the, a digital medium for me right now it's not the case but I've seen a lot of people it's really a lot of people are really loving them and I think it's mm -hmm. it can be a good way but I mean there's issues with the technology too right I mean uh, so it's I think what zoom's only free for so many like a hundred well it's free for something like a hundred people or something so that's kind of a lot for a poetry reading so that's not a problem but um and it's you only know, free for 40, if you have the free version, it's only 40 minutes, but yeah. uh, don't tell Zoom this. If you just uh, log back in after 40 minutes, it'll work for an extra 40 minutes too. Oh, there you go. If you're listening at home and you want to do that for your reading series, you can probably get away with that. Yeah, and, and but I mean, I think a lot of people really are loving it, and I, I it is a great way. The other thing too is when you think about uh, writers, um, a lot of them um, who have had events canceled, and they, they've also had, um, you know, they've lost money because they haven't been able to sell their books and stuff like that. So these are ways we're trying to find ways to help writers and artists to still have their work, um, you know, to still make keep them viable. There are programs they can apply to, but um, you know, it's it's hard not to be able to. Uh, if you if you, I mean, as a poet, I'm not used to getting a lot of money for. Uh, for events anyway, but um, like I had an event, uh, I was supposed to read in June at Knife Fork Book, and that of course is not happening now. So yeah, I think it, at least it's another way of, of um, engaging with your audience and getting your work out there. And from the audience point of view, it's it's it could be a great way to uh, tune into uh, to events. I mean, I, if if I had a choice between um, right now, if I had a choice between attending a live event and attending a virtual event, I would choose a book or a podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. and I, I obviously can't speak for whoever's organizing the events, but for me, if I was organizing an event, if someone wanted to turn their audio and video off, I mean, oh yeah, no one minds. You can chat. You can you can interact through the chat still, and just in fact, I think people should probably turn their audio off so you don't have all the feedback and all the extra sound, right? Oh but yeah, every has been quite amenable to that, but it's just it just feels even just seeing other people. I've, even in my fitness classes, I find it weird. Like like uh, unless the unless the organizer, the host uh, does the mutes everybody. Sometimes they forget, right? And and I'm I'm in the middle of my workout, and suddenly here, Kevin, did you turn on the coffee? Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, it's it actually I kind of found it kind of sweet, you know. But uh, I mean, life get life comes into these things too, and and that's okay. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I haven't attended any events, but I, I w I'm kind of curious too. I, I don't like the idea of having to sign up ahead of time because then it gets me back into the anxiety of like committing to doing something extra. So I'd probably be more likely to just jump in on one that I didn't have to sign up ahead of time and just and listen. And I definitely wouldn't turn my video my video on. But I, I I'm kind of curious to see how how they go. And it's like I was saying earlier, an opportunity to be able to hear people. Uh, and from magazines or events that you wouldn't normally be able to to hear because normally you're not in the same city as them, right? Like, for example, you have yeah, some, yeah, right? Yeah, so I'm going to be part of a launch for the new issue of Prism. It's going to be a series of videos, so not a live Zoom reading, but it'll be more like the, the videos that we talked about earlier as well. And I think it's starting tomorrow for a week or so. They're going to they're gonna release, uh, I'm not sure how many videos a day, and it's in you know, to promote their, their new issue. So yeah, normally I wouldn't have had a chance to, you know, perform at a, a magazine launch for a magazine based in Vancouver. So that's, you know, a nice opportunity for me as well to be able to share, share a few poems with people that never would have been able to, to hear my poems before. And, you know, that that's nice. And hopefully they'll like them. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, if I, if we'll see when we uh, finish and, and get the podcast or the episode online, but uh if uh, I'll, I'll try to get a link up uh, to that as well. 
That's great. Amanda, we have a, we have a um, agenda item saying anything else. Is there anything yeah. else? Is there anything else? Well, I, I mean, uh, other than that, I'd say um, coming up, I have um, already um, solicited from people who are contributors to Experimento, which is one of Angel House Press's uh, online magazines. And we've already done one episode. So we're, we have two more episodes coming up uh, with um, six people on one and five people on the other. And uh, those are those are forthcoming episodes. And we're getting close to the end of the fourth season. So uh, we have some plans and, and thoughts for, you know, the, the the next season starts, I guess, with the July episode. So we'll probably still be doing this and hopefully we'll uh, seeing how we'll see how this episode works as far as their recording quality and hopefully we'll be able to do more of these as well. Yeah, fifth season. Wow, eh? That's uh that's probably a pretty pretty long for as far as poetry podcasts go in the in the world. <laughs> Yeah, like I know, um, like like other literary pod podcasts, like Can't Lit, for instance, with uh, Dina Del Bucchia and Jen Sukfong Lee began uh, in 20, they sort of began just a bit before, like they were around a little bit before we we are. There's a literary podcast run by Nigel Beale uh, here in Ottawa, it's been, but it's it focuses more on books and, and uh, more like on um, things like rare books and it, he interviews different people, but that's been going on for a long time. That's been going on before there were, I think before we even used the word podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are some that have been, but yeah, I mean, I think ours is fairly long, uh, uh, as podcasts and, and as, as poetry podcasts go. I mean, I don't know if, if anyone knows of any other really, uh, any other podcasts for poetry. I'm always interested in, uh, listening to and learning about them. A few have come and gone and a few have seen like they've had a few episodes and they've gone. Uh, Danielle Gregoire and their partner Rylan are running a podcast on on um, set in grocery stores that they visited. So, on what grocery stores? Grocery stores. Yeah, so they've 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 toured various grocery stores and they they did uh, they recorded when they were in there and they had interesting conversations and if you oh, know right yeah. So was yeah. it about grocery stores? It was in grocery stores. I think it might be a bit about, I, I listened to a bit of the first episode so far. I think they've put up a few episodes so far and uh, I'll put up the link to that one as well. I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's great. It's, it's another, I mean, Danielle is always uh, such a great um, joy to listen to. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. And um, normally you do this thank yous, but I also want to say thank you to Charles for processing because I think that this might be more <laughs> difficult than normal. So thank you ahead of time for however, however painful it is for you to do this. Yeah, I hope it's not. But uh, and uh, yeah, and Jennifer uh, Peterson for the intros and outros, and um, everyone who listens and and shares the uh, podcast as well. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Aaron. It's, it's nice to talk to you after it's been so long, <laughs> several months. Yes. There you go. All right. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll, we'll turn off the podcast uh, now. Small Machine Talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak.